Good morning, Amokyo family. Wishing all of you a happy National Day. As you know, Singapore turns 55 this year, and suddenly it struck me that last month in our prayer and praise session, we meditated upon Isaiah chapter 55. So 55, Singapore turns 55, we meditated upon Isaiah chapter 55. And I do feel led by the Lord to preach from this passage this morning. I'll just focus on verses 1 to 7. Let me read us the Word of God. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear to me and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and He will have mercy on them. And to our God, for He will freely pardon. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Come, let us pray. God, we thank you for these wonderful words of life. Open our ears to receive these wonderful words. Open our hearts that it may bear fruit and grow. Bless all who listen to it. Help me, Lord, in this preaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the book of Isaiah is a really fascinating book. It has been famously dubbed as a mini-Bible because the book can be divided into two major segments. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah mainly deal with the Jewish people, the law, man's rebellion against God, and God's judgment on men. It is striking that these are the main themes of the 39 books of the Old Testament. And then the last 27 chapters of Isaiah mainly deal with God's comforting words of forgiveness and promises of the coming Messiah, the Anointed One, the Saviour, which are likewise represented in the 27 books of the New Testament. 66 books, uh, chapters in Isaiah, 66 books of the New of the Bible. You see the parallel here. Others have even gone on to label Isaiah as the fifth gospel, because all the elements of the gospel can be found in this one book. For example, when you think of a coming king through a virgin birth, Isaiah chapters 9, 11 come to mind. When you think of a royal figure who will suffer to bring about God's uh, coming uh, redemption, the servant songs in Isaiah chapter 40 to 55, climaxing in chapter 53, are the places to go. And then when you think about the new heavens and the new earth, then Isaiah chapters 56 to 66 are where you look. But really, it is chapters 40 to 55 which stands out to most Bible scholars and interpreters today. Prominent Bible scholar N.T. Wright believes that these chapters 40 to 55 constitute one of the greatest poems ever written, touching both the heights and depths of human and spiritual experience, reaching a sustained climax where creation itself is renewed and restored. 
Isaiah chapter 55 sits at the end of this great section, launching us into a glorious vision of the new creation. Now to get us quickly up to speed, Isaiah chapters 40 to 55 is addressed to the people of Israel in the Babylonian exile, about which the prophet Isaiah himself had warned earlier in chapter 39. Babylon had destroyed Jerusalem, taking most of the Judean captive into an exile from which they must have thought they would never ever return. The prophets had insisted that this exile was not a mere political disaster. It was divine punishment, the covenant retribution which was bound to follow Israel's long-running idolatry and sin. But the worst thing of all was that Israel felt that their God, Yahweh, had forsaken them. He had left the temple on his own, as Ezekiel describes. And so Isaiah responds by declaring the great promise of Yahweh's return in chapters 40 verses 1 to 11 and 52 verses 7 to 12. The prophet Isaiah envisions a voice calling out a message of comfort to Zion. Comfort, comfort, my people, it's over. Your punishment is finished, it's fulfilled. So flatten the hills, fill in the valleys, straighten the highways and roll out the red carpet because God is coming back at last. Isaiah chapter 55 then is the culmination of this glorious message that God is coming back. While we may not know when Jesus is returning, we do know that he will surely return one day. Our pastor team member Gerald reminded us two weeks ago and the devotional series I wrote during the circuit breaker period, we must never lose sight of this reality that Jesus is returning. We may not know when, but we must get ready for his return. Now, this doesn't mean that we are all to quit our schools and our jobs. Rather, wherever God has called us, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, and even our family, extended family and friends, our network, we are to faithfully live out and declare God's word, God's message, so that we might be ever ready for his return. Isaiah 55 then is a message I strongly feel that God is telling us as Amoko Church to declare. Especially for us, this month is Outreach Month, a message we are to proclaim to Singapore and to the nations. Pastor Emmanuel reminded us last week to learn from the prophet Jonah to bring God's message of salvation to the world. But what is the content of this message? What is this message we are to proclaim? Isaiah 55 gives us five pointers. First of all, come. Second, listen. Third, seek. Fourth, call out. And five, to forsake. To help us remember, I'm just going to use our body parts to help us remember these five segments. To come, the hands invite and the legs must walk forward, right? To come. Number two, listen. To use our ears to listen. Number three, to seek. To use our eyes to see, to explore. Number four, to call out using our mouth. And number five, to forsake, which talks about a renewing of our minds to put away old habits and to put on new ones. You know, back during pre-COVID days, when crowds were freely able to gather, we often see sellers, you know, setting up temporary pop-up stores, promoting items for sale. It could be at a marketplace, it could be Basamalam, the night market. Maybe they were selling a new revolutionary mob, or maybe a new set of kitchen appliances, whatever it may be. These sellers will typically use, uh, typically use a portable headset. You know, they call out loudly, Lay Long, Lay Long, which is the Malay word for auction or sale, right? 
And then they will draw in the crowds. And once enough people gathered, they will proceed to do a live demonstration of the product they're trying to sell. And if people wanted to buy, they will pay on the spot. Now that is the picture I want for us as we go through today's sermon with these five pointers. First, let's courage, courageously invite people to come, come and see. In the first three verses, we hear the word come mentioned five times, and four of which are in verse one alone. You know, our church services have gone online and you're watching one of them right now. While the internet can be a very scary place, fraught with all kinds of scams and dangers, there is no better time than now to invite people to come to church, so-called. But church is not the building, but really it's the people of God. Your friends and family members now, they don't have to travel and expose themselves potentially to catching COVID, right? You can simply send them the YouTube link to our worship services and let them experience a typical worship service for themselves. Let them hear God's word for themselves. I know of at least one person who is not yet a believer. He gave the positive comment that our online worship services are very homely, really befits our church team for the year, home with a heart. If you examine Isaiah 55 verse 1 carefully, you will notice there are no prerequisites. If anyone is thirsty, let them come. If anyone is hungry, let them come. Or special notice is the invitation is, is given to those who have no money. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. But remember, this must always remain as an invitation. None of us should force anyone else against their will. So just send the link to them, whether they watch it or not, it's completely up to them. Here's another point to remember as church. The church is never a place only for those who have money. The church is not a place for those who have money. In fact, the church, for most of its history, and in most places, exists among and for the poor. However, there was a season when the Protestants, uh, even Methodist church, went terribly wayward, both in Britain and America. And for a time, pew rentals were practiced. And I checked this uh, historical fact with our church history professor, Dr. Chang Wing Sun. People would pay money to rent a pew. It is said that in 1820s, space within the churches in America came heavily coated with distinctions, with sitting patterns that segregated men and women, black and white, with pew rentals that segregated, segregated by class and income. As you can imagine, these pew rentals became some sort of status symbol. The richer ones probably bought the pews nearer the front. It was in response to such atrocious development that the free church movement was birthed. The free church movement wasn't just a call to abolish the differences between blacks and whites, slaves and free. The free church movement was also a call to abolish such abominable practices of paying money to rent the pews. They advocated that the people were free to sit in whichever pew they preferred and anyone was free to step into church. There was to be no distinction because of race, gender, and economic status. This is the same invitation we are proclaiming to people. Come, it's free. It's always free. Second, we invite people to listen, listen to the Word of God, the richness of God's Word. Verses 2 to 3, let me read it to us again. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight 
in the riches of fair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. In John chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, Jesus tells the woman at the well, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That is similar to what Isaiah 52 verse 2 says. Yes, we all need food and water to survive, but the ultimate satisfaction lies in knowing God personally. Jesus also taught, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. That is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And the context of that verse in Deuteronomy is this, God had given manna, food from heaven, to the Israelites for 40 years, precisely to teach them this principle, that whatever comes from the mouth of God is where there is true life. And so God is really saying, Look, I have literally provided food for you from out of nowhere these 40 years. Surely you know now that I can provide for you. But now I'm going to provide for you something even better than manna, than physical food. I'm going to provide you with spiritual food, the very words of God. The Bible is God's gift of food and life to us. The entire Bible is God's word to us. Eat of it daily. It is good. It is the richest affair. The word of God is what guides us and gives us life. But there is something, or rather someone, beyond the written word. We recall how God created the world, God spoke and creation came into being. We also know Jesus is the incarnate word of God. He is the ultimate word of God made flesh. He is the very word of God personified. He is the bread of life. Jesus is ultimately whom we are to offer to the world. The famous church father Augustine of Hippo said this, Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. You see, only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. Jesus is also the one we are to teach people to obey. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, Jesus commands, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so if you forget everything I preach about today, don't forget this main point. The message is this, always point people to the Word of God. God's message to us, found in the Word of God. Always point people back to Jesus. He is the ultimate bread of life, which will satisfy. And we will never go wrong here. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And so Amoko Church always point people back to the Word of God, to Jesus. That is the crux of our message, always and all about Jesus. And how might we start pointing people to Jesus? Give them the Bible. Ask them to read the Gospels for themselves. Let God's Word speak to them, and the Holy Spirit will reveal Jesus to them. Remember, never coerce anyone. Trust God to do His work. Third, we are told to seek. The first half of verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Remember those vendors selling goods you know, at the marketplace or at Pasamalam? Well, these pop-up stores won't always be around. After setting up business for a few days or maybe a few weeks, they move on to other spots. 
If you miss the opportunity to buy their products, you might never see them again. In the same way, God only holds out this wonderful invitation for a select season in time. Just as I don't know where the next pop-up stores are going to be, I do not know where the Spirit is going to blow or move to next. Therefore, whenever we hear God's Word proclaim, this is God's chosen hour. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. You know, here in Singapore, we are very blessed with religious freedom. But this is not so in certain countries. Christians are persecuted in many places and there are long periods where Christians cannot even gather to hear God's Word. Will this blessing change in the future? Maybe, I, I don't know the future. There is no guarantee of what the future holds. But today, now, this is the time. This is the hour where God is present, that God is near, and God is holding out His invitation to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. So if there's any one of you out there listening to this sermon and you have not accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, today is the chosen hour. Now is the time. Do not let this opportunity slip by. None of us have any guarantee about tomorrow. Will we even wake up tomorrow? Only God knows. None of us truly have control over our own lives. As a pastor, I've conducted wakes and funerals you know, for infant, young people, and even healthy adults. I'm telling you, this is God's chosen time for you. Seek Him while He may be found. Don't think to yourself, I can wait, I will wait until I'm ready. The truth is, we will never ever be fully ready. We just have to learn to take the first step, to step out by faith. It's like parenting. Will any parent ever be fully ready to receive the first child? No. It's like a child taking their first step. Will their leg muscle ever be fully ready for their first step? No. But what do we do? We still step out anyway, by faith. It's the same with God. We will never fully be ready. But at this moment, if God is tugging at your hearts, don't let this moment slip by. Turn to God. This is the right time. And now, if that is your desire to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I will tell you how. The answer lies in our fourth and fifth points for today's sermon. The fourth point is this. We are to call out. We are to call out. Second half of verse 6 says, Call on Him while He is near. How do we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior? Well, very simply, call out to Him. Use your mouths. Call out to Him. Acts chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 21, which quotes uh, the book of Joel, says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To call on God's name means to appeal to Him to acknowledge Him, to invoke His name. Jesus is the very name of God. To invoke His name is to put our trust in Him, to believe that He is the one and true living God, committing our lives to Him. At the risk of misrepresentation, I hope this analogy will help you understand. To call out to Jesus is to imagine maybe you are in the battlefield. You are at the front lines, the enemy is charging towards you, you are terrified. But because you are a soldier, you call out by faith in Jesus' name, for Jesus. You are invoking God's name. What were you doing there? You are calling upon God's name, God's power to help you fight this battle. Really, we don't have to overcomplicate matters. We simply have to tell people to call out to Jesus. 
if they need help. My second auntie, my dad's sister, is currently hospitalized and her condition is a little critical. When I visited, I simply told her, Kuku, if you are scared, if you need help, just call out to Jesus. Just call out to Jesus and He will surely save you. I essentially put out an invitation for her to seek Jesus and to call out to Him for herself. Remember point number one, there is no prerequisite. Anyone can come to God and anyone can call out God's name. And God's promise is that He will surely answer our calls and our cries. However, it is also important that I be faithful to the text and the whole counsel of God's word. While there is no prerequisite to knowing God and receiving Him as our Lord and Savior, God does expect us to change as we come to know Him. Let me say that again. While there is no prerequisite to knowing God and receiving Him as our Lord and Savior, God does expect us to change when we come to know Him. And that leads me to my fifth and final point for today's sermon. We are to forsake, to put behind certain things. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 7 specifies the two things we need to forsake and leave behind. First of all, we must forsake the way of wickedness, evil, wrongdoing and sin. That's the first half of verse 7. Sure, we can come to Jesus with all our filth, our sin, our unrighteousness without any prerequisites. But we cannot remain the same once we have come to Him. We can no longer remain in sin. We must forsake our old ways of wickedness and evil. A simple analogy to give you here to help us. Imagine, you know, you come from a cold country representing sin. It's winter and you put on many layers of clothes. Jesus' invitation is for you to come to a place in a tropical summer a country. And obviously, you need to put behind, put away, forsake all these winter clothes. And then when you come over right, to Singapore, maybe this wonderful summer island, do you take off your winter clothes while you are still in sin? No. You take off your winter clothes on the journey when you come to Jesus. And this distinction is very important. We cannot get rid of our wickedness first, prove ourselves to be good, and then come to God. Instead, we come to God first, come to Jesus first, and He will help us overcome our wickedness. Don't put the cart before the horse. Call out to Jesus comes first. And as He comes into our lives, we receive that grace to overcome the sin, to put away our old ways of sin and wickedness. We must not expect to overcome sin on our own before we come to God. It's impossible. But when we come to God, We've got Spirit living in us. Nothing is impossible. We are expected to overcome sin and forsake our old ways of wickedness. Second, we must also forsake our typical ways of human wisdom and self-reliance. Verse 7 declares, Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. If you read further in this chapter, Isaiah 55, God says, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God's ways and thoughts are higher. God's thoughts are different from our typical way of human thinking. Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 24, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. 
Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? We jump to verse 22. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. I mean, who expected God to die? Who expected the Savior to be crucified? It is a stumbling block to our minds. It's foolishness. By the way, this is a very strong reason for me personally why I believe Christianity is true. The tenets and truths of the gospel, of the Christian faith, is so out of this world that it must come from out of this world. It's totally unconventional, even illogical. Can God even die? If God dies, is He still God? No human being in our right mind will ever come up with a story like that, with a faith like that. Yet, only because it's true, because it's really from God, that Jesus is 100% human, that He can represent us, and 100% God, that He is perfect and able to pay the ultimate sacrifice, the replacement of our sin. Conventional human thinking says, I must be good before I come to God. God's wisdom says, come to God because He is good. Conventional human thinking says, God will never accept me because I am bad. God's wisdom says, no one is so bad that they cannot be accepted. Listen to how Isaiah 55 verse 7 ends. Let them turn to the Lord and He will have mercy on them and to our God, for He freely pardons. The good news is that our God is a God who will abundantly and freely pardon and forgive. Just as He freely offers bread and wine, so too now God freely offers pardon and forgiveness to all who will call upon His name and forsake their old ways of wickedness and human thinking. Verses 3 to 5 ends of uh, today's sermon. It's a glorious promise. Beginning at the second half of verse 3, it says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promise to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. This is the glorious promise of God. You know, I shared before, God's heartbeat for us as a church is to pastor the city. When we proclaim God's message faithfully, we enter into a covenant relationship with God just as David has done and we hold on to this glorious promise that nations will come running to us because we proclaim who God is. So let me summarize with the five points for today's sermon. First of all, come. Come. Walk nearer to God. The invitation is free. Anyone is free to come. Number two, listen. Listen to God's word, which gives us life. Number three, seek. Seek God while he may be found, while he is near. Taste and see. Experience for yourself. Try it out. Number four, call out. Just as you're going to, you know, you have to, to clinch the deal, you want to buy the product, you need to tell the vendor that you want the product. So you too must call out to God. Call out to God and you will be safe. But number five, we must forsake. 
forsake our old ways of sin and wickedness, forsake our old ways of human thinking, and fully entrust our lives into this new life we have in Christ Jesus. So family, this is the message we are to proclaim. Remember, there is no coercion on our part. We are simply to put out this invitation of God and invite others to experience God for themselves. Come, let us pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful message. We thank you for 55 years of Singapore's birth as a nation. Lord, we thank you for this chapter, Isaiah 55. Lord, as we proclaim your message to our world, to our community, to our city, to our families, may your word truly bring life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.